93.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. We expect to win every time we step on the field. That's just the, the mindset and the culture that we have. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com. Win real money for their sports bucks from their sports book with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Adam Kaplan from the Inside the Birds podcast is today's football at four guests. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared up here via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Among some of the things we want to get into today with Adam Kaplan include a surprise, maybe not such a surprise if you've been listening to Football at Four. Adam Kaplan has said, Alshon Jeffrey, hoping to get back in the month of September. That Does that mean he will be active on Sunday? Let's first start there, Adam, because everybody's buzzing with Rieger out. A new face was back, and that was Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, you have been saying they'd hope to get him back in September. Does that mean there's a chance he could play this Sunday? Yeah, I'd say outside chance. I doubt it, Mike. So in my reporting on this, uh, I'd heard pretty strongly that he would be back, back within the first six weeks. Uh, I heard that probably early August, and that he would not be on the reserve physically unable to perform list, and that's exactly what happened. With the outside chance, he'd be able to return in November. Well, here we go. Uh there, there's a chance, but I, I just can't see a way that they're going to do this, considering today's his first practice in over nine months. Tomorrow's a very light practice, just over an hour. They're, they're in jerseys and helmets. They're, they're not wearing pads. and I just find it hard to believe that they would do this, though I am told he's in really good physical shape, but that's not football shape. You don't, you don't know that until you actually get him out on the field. And then the other thing is they've got to see how the foot responds to his first practice time. Uh, tomorrow, how does he wake up? How does it feel? Then they'll go from there. But uh, I, I just researched this two years ago when he was coming back from rotator cuff surgery. His first week was at Tennessee, at Tennessee in week four, and he did practice the, the previous week. So I think better chance at, at the Niners in Santa Clara next week. Uh, but the fact of the matter is with Jalen Rager go, not playing, um, I'm told he's going to have surgery on that thumb that he, the UCL, he. It's the same one that Drew Brees had a couple years ago. Uh, they, the Eagles expected to miss at least six weeks. And the, the crazy thing is the timing, because Rager was filling in for Jeffrey at the X position. Now Jeffrey's back at his X position, but who knows when he'll be able to play. But the good thing is he's back, and I, I do believe he has a real shot if he has no setbacks to play next week. Okay, so if Rieger's out this week, well, he is out yeah, this week, and sure. Jeffrey is not going to play, which is likely, what does the wide receiver rotation setup look like? Yeah, even if Alshon's able to play a limited role to be the exposition, I don't expect him, if he does play, to play a lot of snaps, very limited. But that's a good question. It, right now, uh, they do have Deontay Burnett, who I'm almost certain they would add from the practice squad. They protected him so no one could sign him off the practice squad this week, one of the four protected players. So he's more of an X player. Not a, not, I don't know if they would even have a natural X. Uh, other than J.J. Ortega-Whiteside's the guy that it was drafted to replace Jeffrey, you might remember last year, and it has not quite worked out that well for him, but he probably would play the most at X, and, and what's going to happen is John Hightower was benched last week. He only played seven snaps. He probably would have to play more snaps, and obviously Deshaun Jackson is their Z, 
and Greg Ward is the slot receiver, and that's kind of it. I mean, that, if Alshon doesn't play, they only get, they'll have four that 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 are available. Plus Burnett, they would add from their practice squad. So that's really it, guys. It it would be a little bit of a challenge for them against the Bengals. I know the Bengals' defense isn't very good, but it's not good when you don't have a lot of receivers. But remember, the Eagles are running the most 12 personnel, the most two tight end sets in the National Football League. They did it last week, and they did it last year. Do you think someone like John Hightower could step in and have a bigger role during this absence of wide receivers? Yeah, yeah, Hunter, yeah. So as I was saying, I, I do believe he'll get a reprieve this week. Uh, he clearly was benched, and here's what happened. First week, he did not play well. Had a very bad drop. You know, it just goes to show you that you've you got to be careful. When a guy has a great training camp, that's all it is. I, I've likened this to, the, to, like, minor league baseball, going to major league baseball, trying to hit the fastball. He didn't hit the fastball very well in week one, and he only played seven snaps last week. So they're, they're not going to have a choice here. He's got to play. I mean, he really does, and he can run. And he's got a pretty good football IQ. He's going to have to do it. They don't have anywhere else to, to turn here. They didn't. They didn't sign anyone to their. It's not like they signed a veteran receiver. They added uh, Robert Green, who was with them last year. They worked him out. I'm told this week, and he's back on the practice squad. But they have what they have. And again, we're going to see a lot of two receiver, two tight ends this week. Twelve personnel, about eighty percent of the snaps last week. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you just mentioned the wide receiver situation. Is this going to look a lot like the last four weeks when, voila, Carson Wentz played pretty well? Yeah, so that's what they did, Mike. You're right. The final four weeks last year, it was almost exclusively two, two receivers, two tight ends. Now, last year, we know why they had to do it, because they were, they were basically using four receivers who were not on the active roster in week one last year versus Washington. So, yeah, you've got Deshaun, you've got Hightower, you've got Greg Ward, you know, who they do like. Uh, you, you, you've got some options in Ortega Whiteside, but this is where Zach Ertz, and Dallas Goddard become very, very important to this football team. And the Bengals are are beat up. One of their safeties, Sean Williams, is, is their starting strong safeties, but he's missed the first two games. And uh, this also gives them their opportunity to continue that run game, which is Miles Sanders was really good last week. And the Bengals were without two of their top three D tackles last week. So I think there are going to be certain advantages the Eagles are going to have against the Bengals' defense. You read my mind. I was going to bring up Miles Sanders and running the ball because I thought Doug did do a good job at running it. Maybe this gives them an opportunity to run it more. So I'll go down this road. Is it possible you see more of Jalen Hurts in certain packages just based off of this scenario? Well, that's a good question. That one was a surprise. I've got to tell you, that one caught me. In fact, I give the Eagles credit. They kept a little on that. It was not reported before the game. Uh, you know, And we're doing the week. What was They were going to do that. So... Yeah, I do. That just gives the defense something else to think about. Now, obviously, the three plays that he got, that's on tape now. So the, every team that plays the Eagles now, they know what they can do with it. Now, the Eagles might tr- try it differently. They may actually try it in their own you know, their own 20-yard line instead of being in the opponent's uh, area. So, yeah, this gives them a different look. You know, he did line up technically as a receiver for two plays and then in the backfield for one. This definitely gives them a different look. And, it's fascinating. How about Nate Sudfeld being inactive? So think about it. If Carson once got hurt, Hurts would have taken over, which is not something that anyone really saw this early. Yeah, we're talking with Adam Kaplan from the Inside the Birds podcast. And, you know, it's interesting because it sounded like uh, Doug was pressed on that a little bit, and he gave a no and no uh, whether or not he was kind of forced into activating Jalen Hurts. <laughs> Do you think that Hurts uh, has won that role, or are they just trying to justify getting him uh, in that second round? They need him on the field. Yeah, I, I don't think he's won that role. I, I just know where he ended training camp, and he was a f- real far way away. But um, it was a gamble, one that I still don't quite 
understand why they did it that way and not have Sudfeld active. Uh, just in case uh, you know, Wentz got hurt, I think it would be a gamble for, for the Eagles to do this. Look, it, let's put it this way. If they do the same thing this week, then it's very clear to us that Hurts is now the number two quarterback and Nate Sudfeld is the, is the three. In fact, by the way, let, let, you know, in my reporting in the spring, the Eagles actually were very deep into talks with Joe Flacco to be their number two quarterback, but they were concerned with the fact that he would not be ready for the start of the season. Joe Flacco's got a real shot this week. He's actually taking full practices this week for the Jets. Gil mentioned Doug's answer of no and no, and I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, Doug to the media over the last week or so, and it ties into Carson Wentz's issues, I would imagine. It does seem like there is this sense of frustration based off of it not being executed properly, the game plan that is, and just, I don't know, a sense of weird vibe that we're not accustomed to when it comes to Doug Peterson. So what are your thoughts on that? Totally, and I saw the same thing. I actually mentioned this on our, our show that I think dropped. Yeah, actually, our show that dropped on Wednesday, Hunter. This is probably the first time since Doug Peterson's been here, and it, this is his fifth year, that he actually – he doesn't have to say the player's name. You know that the, the – the, the, when he was asked Monday about the regression of Carson, he didn't, he, he didn't even say, wait a minute, no, he hasn't regressed. He actually addressed the question and didn't deny that he's regressed which was kind of shocking. I was almost surprised. I want to make sure I heard that correctly, so I read the transcript if I saw it live. And this is now, now, of course, a Wednesday. He had a little bit of a different tune, and maybe someone got in his ear. But you know what? I, I, I get it because he impressed Taylor or coaching this guy, and Carson's got to take the coaching. There's something seriously going on with the messaging that they're giving him because he seems to be doing his own thing with his mechanics, and that certainly is a big issue right now. All right, so what are you hearing and what are you seeing with his inaccuracy? What are some of the issues that Wentz has had in these first couple of weeks? And are you noticing anything different from these two yeah. weeks to the end of last year? Yeah, Mike, he is – okay, let's start with his front foot. This is probably the biggest issue with their offense right now. Not only is it Wentz, but his mechanics. He is locking his front left foot. That is his plant leg because he's a right-handed quarterback, and that causes the ball to sail. Uh, he's not getting good balance. He's not getting good knee bend. Uh, he's also drifting away from throws. We, we've actually addressed that on the Inside the Birds pregame shows. Uh, you can actually see that with myself and, and most Jeff Mosher, of course. And Greg Cosell and Trey Thomas, we all addressed it. We're going to address it again on the Sunday show, which starts at 10 a.m. I mean, it, Mike, it's a real problem right now. I've never seen his mechanics this off. And, again, I still think that he's not – Carson is not just – taking the coaching like he should. This is a big problem. The, the, the inaccuracy stuff started last year. Uh, it wasn't so bad, I'm told, in 18. Occasional stuff, but nothing alarming. The fact is, his accuracy number went up 9, 9%, which is almost unheard of in, from 17 to 18. But that is partial, I'm told, because he was not making big, challenging throws downfield. A lot of intermediate to shorter throws. And you saw week one, a lot of the downfield throws, uh, two of them were really good. One was to Rager, and the other one was to Rager, where Rager stopped running where that was on Rager. But last week, the shorter throws, he was way off. I mean, I, I've not seen it like this because he's not in balance. His footwork, Mike, is not good. So when you guys watch the game uh, you know, on Sunday versus the Bengals, and you could see this on TV. Often you can't see this stuff, but if you slow it down, you could see it. His footwork was way off, and that's got to get better. I'm just trying to look at this from all angles and, and come up with the the reason why this is happening. So I'll throw this to you. Is it possible he's being taught the wrong things? No, 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 no. He, he's 
That's not the issue, Hunter. No, coaches know what they're doing. It's is he taking the message, and clearly he's doing some stuff on his own. As one league source said to me, he's clearly free, freelance off coaching tape. Like that's what he's doing. He's no quarterback is told to to to, to move off your spot and and fit, and drop off a little bit. The the issues with his mechanics are not taught. That, no one teaches that way. He's just doing it on his own, which he can't do. And Carson needs to be coached hard, and and he needs to be told like, no, this is the way we do it, and do it our way. And that's something that Doug Peterson and Rich Gangarello, who's a little bit more involved this year, obviously because he's new to it and he's part of the plan, and obviously press challenge are with him the most. He's got to listen to the the messaging a little bit better if he's going to get better. Um, how much of this and, and it has been come up as the injuries start catching up to you? I mean, the knee injury, the concussions. I mean, he's been hurt a lot. How much of that is that you get a little gun shy when even if the you know even if the the pressure's not coming at you? I mean, the stat that uh, somebody threw out about his, his inaccuracies. He's got twenty, uh, you know, the most passes twenty, and fifteen of those passes have come with. Uh, not under duress. So does that suggest that the injuries are in, are still kind of in the back of his mind? Mike, it's a fair question, but I don't think so. Uh, I do know that Ron Jaworski always told me that the more you get hit, the more you worry about what's happening around you. But their offense, see, Mike, here's the thing. The offensive line was terrific last week. Yep. Last week. They were awful week one, really good last week. No, I, I just think that it's his footwork. He's trying to do too much. The, the, the term is hero ball. He's trying to be a hero and make these – and he's trying to do things on his own, which he's not taught. And he just he's just got to he's got to be aware. Like keep your feet set. If you're in the pocket, keep your feet set. You could you could throw off balance as long as long as you line yourself up your your feet correctly. And he's not done that. It it was hard to watch him last week. There were some things that were better than week one, uh, but man, they they shorted up the game plan. I don't know if you noticed this. They they were not thrown downfield mostly because they want to help Carson get accurate. And as you pointed out, and it's true, he, he was missing on short throws, which is not like him, and it's all for mechanics, and th- this has got to be corrected, and I'm sure it is. Okay, you mentioned what's going on around him. The line played better, but the line's going to have a third different look this week, it looks like. Why the flip-flopping of the guards? I mean, isn't this the same group of, of coaches that say, we don't like to move multiple pieces? They ended the game with Herbig at right, Pryor at left. This week it looks like they're going to flip-flop. Well, here's the thing. My prior, they did what they did in game because of what happened at the other guard spot. Uh, so Matt Pryor is better off at right guard than left guard. There's no question about it. Um, Herbig really, it's interesting because they got Jamon Brown, who they, they are eventually going to play. It, it's a matter of is it going to be this week or is it going to be against the Niners. So, look, you, you've got four guys. It's really interesting. They've got four guards for two spots. You don't want to be trying guys out in week three. That's not the way you do it, but... Because of all these injuries, and, and Isaac Sayamalo now is the one who's going to be out for several weeks. Now is it going to be three weeks? My, my sense is with his knee injury, it's going to be longer than that. So, I, I, Jamon Brown's a guy, guys, this is the key here. He, he's got to get work with the ones, and Mosher and I will have that for our show on Sunday, who's been working with the ones, but um, they, they only have today. Tomorrow is a really light work. It's got to be Wednesday and Thursday uh, to get those work with the ones, and that, that's... It's really interesting. This is not something they've ever done before, but I don't want to call it a tryout, but they certainly are working guys at different positions. What is uh, What do you think about the creativity or the play calling from Doug Peterson? I mean, is that something that you think is an issue with why the offense isn't more productive, or do you not have a problem with Doug and the, and the play design and the play call? 
you know what? I, 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 here's my issue. I thought they were going to get more creative and, and different and innovative, kind of like San Francisco's concepts and Rams' concepts. The Rams concept them to death last week. It was they embarrassed their defense. I, I, I thought they would come out and, and they had Carson Rollin a little bit, but I'm not just talking that uh, ghost motion reverses. Uh, tunnel screens, all sorts of stuff. You know, the screen game has been non-existent for over a year, pretty much. But they, look, they, Miles Sanders, by the way. I mean, he had seven pass targets. Carson missed him a couple times, one in particular. But they, they yeah, I, I don't. It should, it should be because of the the guard changes. These guys know the offense. It, they they got to start rolling here, Mike. I, I, it's a really good point, and it's one issue that I think they have not solved. I know it's only two games, so you don't want to go off the deep end here. But we're expecting some different stuff. That's why they made so many coaching changes. And by the way, we've, we've yet to see it. How much of that do you think is, because I lean towards what you're saying. I thought there would be more creativity involved. And I was thinking about this yesterday. Does anything, does the 12 personnel set and being so heavy on 12 personnel, does that play a role in that? Yeah, but you could, you can with two tight ends keep shifting in motion those guys. You can right. just shift them right side, left side. You could split out Goddard, who, by the way, you know, is more better athlete than Zach Ertz, or is maybe the NFL's best route runner at tight end. But you could do some stuff. See, this is what the Eagles told me when they drafted Goddard. They thought they could do some innovative things with both, but you know, Goddard has had so many injuries. Minor though, mostly minor, but he looks good. You know, he was tremendous, best game as a professional week one. So that's something, Hunter, to watch against this bad Bengal secondary in particular. They're going to have opportunities. This is a great week to start getting these guys moving. I, if, I'll tell you what, if they don't do some good stuff this week, you've got to start questioning the play calling here because there's no reason to, not to do it against a bad defense. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's like the chicken or the egg thing. It's like, uh, are they not creative enough on offense? Or if Carson Wentz just simply makes a couple of pitches and catches, we're not having this conversation. Well, yeah, and obviously his accuracy would be way up. But, but again, if you're watching the game closely, they're not doing anything that we haven't seen before. That, that's the point here. And it's kind of surprising to me. I know it's only two games. They've got 14 regular season games left. But you definitely want to see some stuff that we were promised would happen. Uh, and I know Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, was involved in this. He, wanted, he was part of it, I'm told, that he wanted to see some things that other teams were doing. And they've yet to be doing it. I'm sure they're going to, but it's yet to happen. All right, uh, we've gotten this far in the conversation and haven't really got on the defense. It didn't play all that well yeah. last week either. Yeah. Now, I thought Brandon Graham said something interesting today. You know, everybody's going after Schwartz. Schwartz basically said, I take the blame. And Graham says, I thought we were going to get cussed out because we were horrible, and he went up there and took the blame for us. Now we really want to go out there and play for this guy. Yeah. So yeah. was the defense um, concerning, and should we – and we thought this defensive line was going to be great. We thought the secondary was better. We know the linebacker were weak, but I don't know, through two weeks, what do we see from this defense? Yeah, and the problem is Fletcher Cox is very questionable to play with his abdomen injury. This is not good, but, yeah, look, they got schemed to death last week. It, it was probably the worst that Schwartz's defense from, a, from just a consistency standpoint. They were awful last week. They just, the only time they were good, and this is where they were really good, when Goff rolled back and was not moved, they, their, line got, they, their line pushed them. Uh, their line actually dominated for about oh twelve to fifteen plays, I'm told. But the problem is because they because Sean McVay knew exactly what the Eagles were going to do. The Eagles played strictly man coverage. It was the most man coverage I'm told they played uh, since well the first two weeks have been the most man coverage since Schwartz has been here. And it's probably going to take them guys a little bit longer for this defense to figure it out. 
Nick Gary had his worst game, I'm told, as an Eagle. He just was confused. So was uh, Avante Maddox and, and Rodney McLeod made some mistakes. Brandon Gray made some mistakes. These are all smart, really smart football players. They just were out of position because they were out-schemed. And you got to give Sean McVay credit. And, and look, uh, the, the, the Bengals come in here with a lot of talent on offense. Their, their line is awful, probably the NFL's worst offensive line. But to answer your question, I think this is, even if, even if Cox doesn't play, they should have their way against an awful offensive line. They've got one good lineman, their left tackle, Jonah Williams. The Bengals' left tackle is really talented. But our- Football at 4, it's brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now, they'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports book, along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. So, obviously, the big conversation there in the beginning, Alshon Jeffrey, he says... Outside chance, doubts it, better chance he plays next week against the 49ers. Does that scare you for this week in terms of weapons? Not I mean, look, I would go into all four weeks last week and say, I don't like the weapons, and they won. I think their weapons are better now than the weapons they had at the last four weeks of last year. I mean, Deshaun Jackson's way better than anybody they had. He gives you a element that they did not have at all in those four games that I think adds to what Ward can bring you he mentions the two tight ends you just need to really get something from one other guy can Deontay Burnett you know if you look at Twitter and these guys uh, who who watch train this guy should have made the team and played and be playing so maybe he's the Greg Ward of why wasn't this guy out there before maybe he's just flat out better than J.J. Ortega Whiteside but they can't put him on the field because J.J.'s a second round pick who knows that's a good point. You also heard Adam say somewhat of the op- – like, you're not wrong. The whole Greg Ward thing did happen last year. But then with John Hightower, who had a phenomenal training camp, it's like, eh, that didn't really relate to on-field production. So you can see both sides of it. Oh, sure. I'm saying uh, Deontay Burnett could go out there and absolutely stink it up. But maybe he's a guy that's just been waiting for his opportunity. Now, he was up last year. I don't recall him doing anything of significance. But, you know. Maybe he gets his shot, takes advantage of it. But to answer the question, no. If Jeffrey doesn't play, they're better offensively weapon we now than they were in the last four games of last year. That's, that's that what I would true. say. The one difference, Wentz has played poorly. Last year in the last four games, he played at a Pro Bowl level. But I don't know if you could... You're right. That did happen. It's just not something that I think can be sustained long-term last year with those weapons. But it did happen against bad teams, and you're playing a bad team on Sunday. Real bad defense, too. Bengals defense, terrible. All right, when we come back, JR's picks are back. He'll give us some insight on some of the top games this week, why the lines are moving, what you need to know about picking a couple of winners, JR. You can only hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call for convenient locations to serve you online at gmslaw.com. Another week is here in the NFL. JR's picks are back from jrwins.com. We will uh, get in on the action, take a look at why these lines are moving, get his take on it. JR from jrwins.com. He'll give you the pick at the end of our conversation here because I want to go around and get his take on some of the games, including got the game tonight. Started out as a pick em. Things up to three now. Dolphins plus three all the way across the board. So I guess tonight's an interesting uh, look there. You got you got numbers still moving all over the place. Vikings, Titans, pick em. Started out now two and a half. 
had the 49ers and Giants six and a half, now three and a half at some places. So let's go to JR from JRWins.com and get his take on week three of the NFL. Welcome back, JR. What's the word? Absolute pleasure to be back in South Jersey. Guys, we are just, when I say rolling, I mean, feels like we haven't lost a game. The only games I've lost have been by a half a point or a point and a half. I mean, look, bottom line is the best information in this industry is right here in-house at wagerpro.com. I'm going to show you by giving you tonight's big winner. Love the game. The information couldn't be any stronger between the Dolphins and the Jaguars. And I know all the fans down there, of course, Tons of Eagles fans. You guys got a big matchup. The line on the Eagles-Bangles opened up at Eagles minus 7.5 and and is down to 5. So I'm going to give you tonight's winner and the winner of the Eagles-Bangles on one short recorded message. It's on me. It's free. You don't need a credit card to get the free games. They're literally on a 30-second recorded message. Call this number and get both of them on me. 800-499-3700. That's 800-499-3733 for the Bengals-Eagles and tonight's point spread winner between the Jaguars and Dolphins. This is not an easy one on your own. I'm telling you, the information is fantastic. 800-499-3733 for both winners on a recorded message. And check out wagerpro.com. Okay, I want to look at the Colts and the Jets. Opened up at 7. It's 11 and a half at some places 11, but why such a huge move there? Well, I mean, let's face it. The Jets have been complete and utter garbage. I mean, there's just nothing happening there for them right now. They are just talk about the opposite of clicking on all cylinders. This could very well be the very worst team in the NFL this season. At least they look that way. Offensively, defensively, they can't get out of their own way. They're 0-2. And, again, for good reason, this point spread going up as much as four and a half points. The Colts showed a lot of of spark last week. And even the week before, their offense is starting to play better. Phillip Rivers is starting to click with some of his receivers. I like what I'm seeing out of this Colts team, but definitely not a game where I feel comfortable in – it just, I mean, let's face it, it's still the Indianapolis Colts. I just don't feel comfortable laying 11 or 12 points, double digits with this Colts team. Not yet, at least. Although, it could be more for the fact that you're really just going against the Jets here. I mean, look, the bottom line here, you look at the numbers on these teams. Not only are the Jets 0-2 straight up and against the spread, but they've hardly put together 15 points a game with a defense that's allowing nearly 30. The Colts... They're scoring not as much as that you would expect, only 24 points a game, but their defense has been stellar, only allowing 19 points a game. They're rushing the football very effectively. They're great against the run. And let's face it, the Jets, they can't run the football. They're going to rely on Sam Donald. They have no wide receiver core whatsoever. We know the Colts are going to win. It's just a matter of are they going to actually cover the 11.5 points. If I had to use the game, of course, I'd be on the favorite. But again, I'm not comfortable laying that many points with the Colts at this point in the season, not just yet. All right, uh, a pick them. It started off Vikings-Titans. Vikings have really struggled. The Titans have uh, gotten two wins in both different fashions. They scored a bunch last week. That's two and a half now. Titans are favored by two and a half. Uh, what's the handicap on the Vikings? You know, uh, the Vikings are one of the games that I gave out for free last week, and of course this was early in the week before we recognized some of the decimation on defense by their... I mean, look, 
they're just not the same team that they were last year, not defensively at least. And that's why this team is now, I mean, the number's absurd, but a ridiculous average of 36 points a game is what they've allowed on defense. And that just goes to show you, without some star players in the lineup, what it's going to do, how badly it can decimate a defense. Now, Tennessee, they're 2-0 and straight up, but they're not covering. They're 0-2 against the spread. They're scoring 25 points a game, but they're allowing 22. This is not the same Tennessee defense that got them deep in the playoffs last year. They're running the football better than ever, 127 yards on the ground. Tannehill, 239 in the, in the air for 365 total yards. But this could be the week where we finally see Minnesota wake up, at least offensively. Dalvin Cook needs to get more support. They need to be able to put the ball in the air. They're just not getting enough in the air. Right now, Cousins and company, they're less than 200 yards a game throwing the football only 172 yards so if I had to pick a side I would lean towards the favorite but I don't love this game at all you don't know what you're going to get with the Vikings and I would stay clear away from this game but I'll tell you right now if you're really and I'm not just saying this it's common sense guys you want to make money you got to bet the most reliable information and I'm telling you tonight's game between the Jaguars and the Dolphins couldn't be any clearer and that big matchup that I want to give to you coming up this Sunday between your Eagles and the Bengals couldn't get stronger call this number and get both winners on my recording free at 800-499-3733 that's 800-499-3733 Three, three, to get both winners on a short recorded message, no credit card needed. Call, listen, and win. All right, before we let you roll, JR from JRWins.com, one and one on the season with the pick. Let's see who you like in week number three. You know, I, there's a particular game that really stands out to me and is not going to come into you know, any kind of uh, issue with the people that I'm going to be doing business with this week, and that's going to be the Las Vegas Raiders going to New England to take on the Patriots. Vegas right now 2-0 and straight up and against the spread, scoring like crazy, 34 points a game, but their defense is not very good. They're allowing a lot of points, an average of 27 a game. Both teams run the football well and can throw, but New England, they have a much better defense. Although they've allowed 23 points a game, I just don't think that they've been clicking, not yet. And I think this offense is better than the 26 points a game that they're putting up with Cam Newton. So, quite frankly, coming off of a tough loss last week for New England and Vegas coming off the high of Monday night on a short week, I think is going to play against them. I would lay the five points with the Patriots all day. The public's betting the Raiders, and I think the favorite runs away with this one. Look for the Patriots to easily cover the five, and I'll go on record. That's a big matchup. We're going to win that one hands down. All right, jrwins.com. Check out all of the opportunities for you to get involved on the NFL college football, which, of course, is uh, this weekend as well, jrwins.com. And he'll be back with JR's picks again a week from today. JR, thank you, pal. Always my pleasure, guys. Give a phone, give a ring to that number, 800-499-3733, and go out there and make some money. I like to do that, and we appreciate that as well. He likes the Patriots this week. It's funny. Uh, I was looking at that one because you got the team, Broads, the Raiders coming off of uh, the emotional win. They acted like they were going to the, uh, the AFC Championship game with that win over the Saints last week. Did you like Gruden's dance moves in the uh, in the locker? Right, he was going all Jeffrey Lurie with the old school like wiggles of the knees. There, this might have been worse. What do you think? 
Because the Lori move was, okay, I'm an older gentleman who's just trying to dance. The Gruden thing was like, I'm going to hype up the boys. Yeah, well, if they uh, if they get another win against the Patriots this week, I might start to believe, and he could start dancing all over the place if he wants to, if he's able to do that. I mean, that's a nice win over um, over the Saints if he can follow it up with the Patriots. Beating the Patriots, is it like beating the Patriots of the past? Are you as impressed? I actually am very impressed with what I've seen from the Patriots to this point. You know, it's not the same as with no, Tom no, no. Brady. No, no, no. I'm but... saying if 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 the if Vegas wins, they beat New Orleans and then they beat New England. Is that impressive? I would say absolutely. All right. And here's a, here's something to mention, by the way. Derek Carr, a handful of years ago, he was in that MVP type conversation that one year. Then you haven't really seen the same. I saw some conversations. About Derek Carr and tying that to Carson Wentz. All right. I saw that as well. People saying, hey, he had that flash in the pan year, and then he's kind of regressed to the middle of the pack. Now, Derek Carr was not the number two overall pick in the draft. That's a different big thing there. All right. When we come back, it's Ask Mike and Broads. If you have questions for today's Ask Mike and Broads, you can send them in now. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Send us your questions for today's Ask Mike and Broads. And by the way, we got to play... The Anytime Hotline calls on Jalen Rieger. Are we going to have time for that? We might have to hold off until tomorrow on that. People okay. were buzzing up the hotline with reaction to what that means, right? My. South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, it's Ask Mike and Broads. It's brought to you by PropSwap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. That is PropSwap.com. Make sure you check them out at PropSwap.com. All right, Ask Mike and Broads. We've got the questions from you guys out there today. Let's see what the people were asking on this Thursday show. This might tie perfectly into something we wanted to touch on. We were talking about the Sixers organization and people at the top. Uh, Jason wants to know, is there any Jimmy Butler regret letting Jimmy Butler go? I think you wanted to say something right before a break. We never touched on it in terms of rooting for Jimmy Butler to get the job done to kind of say screw you to the Sixers front office. I wanted to. Yeah. Then we went to break. I don't remember that, but I mean, I don't like Butler. He obviously there was a problem between him and Simmons and to some extent, Brown. And there were some reports out there, too, that not only Brown, that the other, the assistant coaches, they didn't want to deal with him either. Like, there was obviously some sort of personality disconnect between Jimmy Butler and members of the 76ers. No? Yes, absolutely. And, and I was one of those guys, I'm not going to lie, who said... You know, Jimmy Butler, good player, good piece, but he's not a superstar that brings you to a championship. And he's making me eat my words to an extent. But I will say, like as great as Jimmy Butler has been, like, there's times where he goes four for 14 and has 12 points, but the Miami Heat win. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, he isn't that dominating for – he's a great – like, he's got a great role without a doubt. I'm not knocking him. I enjoy his play. But he really isn't that superstar. This is a good run for the Miami Heat. Yeah, no, and, and somebody tweeted this in, uh, or texted this in earlier. Guys, I hate to throw shade on the Heat, but if they weren't playing in this bubble, I'm not sure they get this far, and we probably don't see as many upsets. Hero, Bam, Robinson, they're all aided by not playing on the road in real playoff environments. 
Miami has one of the worst fan bases there are. I went to playoff games there, and there are rows of empty seats. It's an interesting point is, I think we've seen that a lot in these playoffs, where the home field, the, the home court advantage has been taken away, and I think you've seen that really. Nor you never see updates, uh, upsets of this proportion in the NBA, where the four and the five are playing. In the, it's never happened before. Never. That's true. And and you don't see twenty year olds dropping thirty seven points for a reason as well. I feel. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, so I think that's a good point. Look, Butler, he's not the A number one star that leads a team to a championship. I think we all can realize that. If he was, the Sixers would have been there last year. If you're the A number one star in that series last year, the Sixers would have won that series. But he wasn't the A number one star. He, he got outshined by another A number one star. So he's very good. He's on that next level. And that's not bad. It's just right now, I think, under the circumstances. And look, he's playing against a team in the Celtics that they don't have an A number. Tatum is very good. He's not an A number one star. As much people want to say Tatum is this because of the whole Fultz thing, he's a phenomenal player, but he's not an A number one star. Not right now, anyway. Maybe he will be when he matures a little bit more. He can't have zero points. Now he had 28 in the second half. Great. But he's still, even at his best, he's very, very, very good, but he's not... LeBron, he's not Durant, he's not Kawhi Leonard, he's not that A number one guy. Do you watch Jimmy Butler and go like, damn, I miss it? Do you watch him and enjoy it still to the point where it's like, damn, man, when he do when he does certain things out there, I do think to myself, because ah. I always go back to that picture. Remember when he hit that shot against the Celtics and he's standing there in that pose where he's almost in a squat, and then here comes all the Sixers players running on top of him. I will say this. I do... The thought of the the thought of the offseason was run it back. Remember that was yes. run it back. I would have much rather have run it back now knowing what I know than taking this route. I want to see the Sixers go into a season with the same roster that they had at the end of the year before and let them play together. It's not going to happen be... again this year. They're going to have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid most likely playing with two other guys on their sides now. You would think, though, that Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris would be the three that are going to be together for the next couple of years here. I would think that those would be the three. Because I know people are yelling about getting rid of one of these two contracts. I just don't know what can be done if you get rid of Tobias's and you keep Al Horford. To me, the problem is Al Horford more so than Tobias. He's not great. He's just a guy and he's grossly overpaid. But that just a guy can at least play the stretch four. And if he's making, like when we traded for him, he was shooting over 40% from three. Okay, let's say he shoots 36 because he's not as good as the 40%. 35, let's say. You you can live with, even though it's grossly overpaid, you can live with the 36% three-point shooter from the stretch four position in Tobias. But I don't know if you can live with Al Horford. Um, That's an interesting point. Uh, I mean... Harris, by the way, shot 36% from three this year. Right. I mean, it's it's not horrendous. We just talked about how Hero shooting 37, no? Here's the problem I had with Harris as opposed to Horford. And I'm not, you know, I'm just saying. I go back to the Bob Myers comments. Harris is such a one-dimensional player. He can't put the ball on the floor. He doesn't dribble very well. And he's a mediocre three-point shooter. He's not a great defender. The, the savviness of Horford 
Is there a role for that, his high post passing? If they used him the right way in the offense. I don't think they ever used him the right way in the offense. I think there's more to get from Horford maybe than there is to get from Harris in a playoff situation. I just don't know what that would look like with Joel Embiid. I'm not saying you're wrong because I also think that maybe he could have been utilized differently. Mm, man, I think tough. that was the biggest problem was they could never figure out what to do with Horford. If you I, I used just, him, it's an unnatural fit though. If, it is. It's yeah, like an unnatural fit. But if you used him the way that Boston used him against you all those times, and they did like every once in a blue moon, they have a little pick and pop right in the circle area at the top of the key, and he hit that little elbow, like that little ugly like elbow out like jumper right in the circle there, and you're like, that's the one, that's the one you want. That that three pointer from like straight on. They just didn't do that enough. But how much does that mess up the spacing with everybody else involved? And where's Joel Embiid? And I'm not disagreeing that that's his spot. You want to utilize that pick and pop, and I think you could. I, I just think it's such a big snowball effect. So, okay, let's get that pick and pop game going. But how does that affect other trips down the floor just based off of the initial spacing of these players in general? I don't know. And, and here's what I know. Like, Tobias Harris is going to have nights in the regular season. They're going to excite you, and you're going to say, see, and then... When it comes to playoff time, though, that's the Bob Myers comment is, yeah, on Tuesday night, he might have 35 points. And yeah. But come playoff time, that other team knows that Tobias Harris has a lot of limitations. Here's where I'll go with that, though. You win. You're not going to win because of Tobias Harris. So if Ben Simmons and Joel B do what they need to do, Tobias being whatever his limitations are as a third option, I think that that's fine. Not everyone is going to have some great skill set where they don't have any flaws in their game. So if Ben and Joel are who we need them to be, I think Tobias, you can live with his limitations if that's your third option. Yeah, probably. Um, mm, man. It's a tough spot. The fact that me and you right now are going back with like a, Oh, man, that's tough. Or, ooh, ugh. Well, those, put it this way. Those sound bites that we have, that just shows you what spot we're in. Put it this way. He was their fourth option last year, and that still wasn't good enough. And your other option was Jimmy Butler. But I don't think that was because of Tobias Harris on what happened. I'm just saying, like, you're saying, oh, he's good enough to be your three. He was your four, and that wasn't good enough. Yeah, but that goes back to... That that's because Ben and Joel aren't where you need them to be yet. I'm saying it's all based off of those two. So if Ben and Joel were where they needed to be and it wasn't enough, I'd support it. But it's this is all based off of if Ben and Joel take the proper steps needed. That's the key to, to everything. And you're, you're right. It goes back to then the other discussion of whether Mike D'Antoni's the right guy to get that out of him. I'm not and sure he, that he is. Keith asked that. He said, "Is if D'Antoni's hired, how do you both feel about that with this roster? Yeah, I don't feel that that's the case, honestly. I mean, you don't I think just, he's going to be the hire? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is the hire. I don't know that he, I don't see what he does. When he was in New York, they weren't very good because he didn't have good players. When he was in L.A., they weren't very good. They didn't have good players. When he was in Phoenix, at the end of the road, they gave him Shaq, and he wasn't very good. He needs a specific type of players to be the best version of Mike D'Antoni. And I don't know why the Sixers coaches look at their ro the owners, look at their roster right now and say, you know what's perfect? Mike D'Antoni. He makes a lot of sense for us. I don't see it. 
I hope I'm way off on this one. I just don't see it. All right, NFL schedule week three. First look at it on the other side. We'll give you the picks. We'll give you the numbers. And the doc is coming up at 530 tonight with the injury report. A lot of stuff to get into on the bird side. Eastern Conference Finals. Game five.